Thank you for downloading the IA podcast. You can listen to all our episodes on Podbean, Spotify, Apple, and YouTube. Enjoy. A book by Mariana Mazzucato called The Entrepreneurial State, published in 2011, looked to turn conventional economic wisdom on its head. The book argued economic success is a result of public and state-funded investments in innovation and technology, rather than a result of small state free market doctrine that often receives credit for strong economic growth. The book became a a bestseller and was praised and also criticized by several social science journals, sparking a debate amongst economists and social scientists around the world. A compelling critique in the literature came from the book Questioning the Entrepreneurial State, edited by Carl Wenberg and Christian Sandstrom. It includes contributions from various academics forming a canon of work which debunks the entrepreneurial state. I'm delighted to be joined by one of those editors, Christian Sandstrom. Now, welcome, Christian. Okay, uh, Christian, could you outline the main premise of the entrepreneurial state to our listeners uh, who may not be familiar with the book? So the book, The Entrepreneurial State, written and published by Mariana Matsukato, uh, who'd been an innovation scholar for for many years. Um, I think it, in, it inverted uh, the, the view of, of uh, the state with regards to innovation. So historically, uh, innovation scholars have argued that, well, the state has a role. It, it tends to supply uh, research and development uh, activities via universities. And that then spills over to the private sector and the private sector is uh, the main source of innovation where innovation occurs in the economy, um, commercializing, applying what has been, uh, what what exists. So uh, the book, The Entrepreneurial State inverts that logic and states that no, it's actually government efforts that have taken on the really big efforts, the really big uh, initiatives to pursue innovation. And the private sector sure had had a role, but it had been the follower that capitalized upon um, the efforts made by by the state. So uh, that, I think it was uh, formulated at its very, the, the sharpest formulation of that perhaps was by, by Matsukato when, when she wrote that it was not the Apple that came up with the iPhone. Um, it was the US government through its various endeavors into new technology that paved the way for Apple to make use of all those technologies to launch an iPhone. So it's really that inverted logic to it. Yeah, um, and one thing that I find interesting from the book as well is she sort of see, you know, we see economics as public goods, market failures and negative externalities where the state gets involved in the economy. And that's the role of the government where she says, well, no, that's just the starting point. And there's lots of scope for the government to get involved, as you said, with 
um, innovation and, and spending and research and design and so forth. Um, but the book that you co-edited, um, what what did that say? Why 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 can't the state be an entrepreneur? In short, so our book now, which is called "Questioning the Entrepreneurial State," and in a sense, it questions Matsukato's work, but it also questions the entire trend that we've seen in the European Union and throughout the Western world towards progressively more interventionist industrial policies. Um, and we're trying to take a systematic uh, approach to, to questioning that. Is this really the way to go? So what we noticed when, when Matsukato published her book was that it went, it's been a huge success. It has gone viral. Um, it's sold hundreds of thousands of copies, which is very rare for scholars to have that significant outreach and impact. So uh, we noticed that among policymakers, um, these ideas were not really questioned. Um, they were absorbed because policymakers seemed to like the ideas. Whereas in academia, they perhaps remained quite quite controversial. And we wanted to close that gap, uh, me and my co-editor, Carl Venberg, a professor at Stockholm School of Economics. And that's why we, um, we made a call for papers and uh, we asked uh, scholars to, uh, um, to contribute with different perspectives upon that. So the, um, the book contains 18 different chapters written by in total 32 different scholars who um, take on different both theoretical perspectives, but also reviewing some of the, the empirical evidence with regards to the entrepreneurial state and, and more interventionist industrial policies. So, so that's a bit the background to the book and, and how it came about, uh, yeah. And what are the main, what are the sort of, I mean, obviously people have to read the book. There's lots of interesting articles in there and that it, it does break down on some case by case basis examples of why what Mazzucato, uh, Mazzucato says in her book is, um, you know, is, challenges that. But if you could give a bit of a, maybe a one liner, you know, why, why is Mazzucato and the entrepreneurial state wrong? So uh, she has many points in her book and it's, it's a valuable contribution in, in several different ways um, to highlight those efforts by the government that have been made and, and they should be acknowledged. I, I think it's an important uh, effort that she's made. So um, I think what has happened now is that this has fueled the uh, an increasingly interventionist approach from from governments with regards to innovation and technology and there there are many different perspectives through, throughout the book here um, if i would try to highlight the primary concerns here i think they are that one these policies and these large government efforts, they do not happen in a vacuum. They are 
being imposed in an economic and technological context. And uh, as a consequence, um, you know, and in, in research in political economy talks about rent seeking and regulatory capture, et cetera, how interest groups tend to influence policies to their favor. And if the government would make these grand leaps of faith into new technologies, there is an inherent risk that those efforts will be captivated by established interest groups, effectively blocking innovation because innovation usually happens through a process of creative destruction. So this is one important message and conclusion. And I can go through some of the evidence here which, which deals with that. The second one is, is related to it. And that is that techno technology development is an evolutionary process. It's a trial and error um, that takes place over time. And not even private firms can beforehand know which technology is going to succeed. It's through trial and error, imitation, mutation uh, in an evolutionary economy that that happens. So if, if not even private firms who are working on this full-time, year after year, are able to pick the right technology, why do you think the government should, would be able to pick the right technology, especially when it is being influenced by interest groups? Um, and this is also what we see, that when governments put large money up for grabs for technology development in, in certain directions, um, the likelihood that that results in, in uh, misallocations uh, and, and uh, malinvestments is, is significant. Um, she, I mean, you, we, we, you spoke about at the very beginning about some of the examples she gives about, you know, state investment, which has led to great technological advancement and like the iPhone, for example, and Apple. One other example is the, um, the US National Science Foundation, which funded the algorithm which helped create Google search engine. You know, she gives a lot of examples of these, but the entrepreneurial state it can fail and you document that You document that throughout your book. Could you give our listeners an example of, you know, where the idea that the state can choose winners and invest so much money and put so much faith in a certain actor has, has failed and... So, uh, I mean, she's, she's providing some evidence here and, and you're, you're mentioning some of it here. Now, if, if the government via taxation uh, takes resources from the private sector and then invests that in research and development uh, and does so with a lot of money over time, it would be strange if that would not be, if it would be entirely unrelated to the private sector. It's, it's kind of natural that it, it would have some role there. Um, so that's one thing to keep in mind. Second, the, um, the evolution of, of technology is a cumulative process. So to say that, you know, the state was behind one of those algorithms. Yes, well, it's, it's such a large part of GDP, the state. Um, and it 
imposes a lot of its its will upon the private sector. So, and then the private sector has also done something. But to say that that is this, uh, that's almost like a truism to me. That's self-evident that this is the case to a certain extent, and you don't get the alternative point of view. So, so this is one thing to keep in mind when you look at Matsukato's argument. A second thing here is that many of those technologies that are related to, for instance, the iPhone, um, that are that are not mentioned in her work, come from the private sector. So how she has chosen those different technologies and related those to government efforts, I think can be uh, can be questioned or, or discussed. Um, so this is important to keep in mind when you look at, at these cases and these uh, uh, arguments brought forward. If we now move over to examples where it doesn't work out, we have a couple of ones in, in, in the book. So in, uh, in Sweden, you had a bubble in ethanol cars and related to that uh, production of ethanol, You've also seen those with regards to biogas. And, and um, um, so there are many other examples in the book and there are some contemporary ones where we argue that you're actually uh, creating green bubbles through the, uh, the government efforts that are being made. That's very interesting. This makes me think of a, of a more UK-based example, which is Concord. Um, the, the British and French government spent a lot of money on the Concord supersonic airliner, which has become a lasting symbol of Anglo-French engineering triumph. But, so, but the project was not commercially viable, um, as we know. Um, the initial, the initial develop, uh, development uh, cost for Concord was $130 million. However, it ended up costing uh, there and about $2.8 billion. Surely state funding, you know, can lead to some cost fallacies and redundant technologies, as you discussed. However, one argument that she says is that although Concord, you know, was not commercially, commercially viable, there were spillover effects and such impressive technological abilities have been, you know, used and they have been valuable although the pro the plane itself was not commercially viable what 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 do you say to that to an extent it's a valid argument um yes you can you can invert that and and say that um the efforts made by the private sector also spills over to other parts of the private sector um and to the government sector as well. Um, so I think the argument, yes, there is some truth to it, but it, it, it goes both ways. How, how influential has the entrepreneurial state and Mazzucato's book been on public policy since it was published uh, in 2011? Uh, very influential, I would say. Um, she writes um, in different places that she, she's been uh, advising more than 30 governments around the world. And uh, many of those are on, uh, it seems, on, on, a cons on a regular basis. Um, in her most recent book, The, the Mission uh, Economy, 
she um, ex explicitly states that she has been uh, influencing and, and designing the Green Deal in, in the European Union. Um, over here in Sweden, we can see how uh, uh, she receives a lot of attention too. So both on a national level, but perhaps most importantly within the European Union, yes. That moves very nicely on to my next question. We, we, the, the book sort of pivots on the Green Revolution and the Green New Deal and looks at developing green technologies to combat climate change. And essentially, as consistent throughout the book, is, as, as we discussed, is that the, the state sort of picks winners and decides that we're going to invest in this technology and this will solve the problem. Um, you've already um, debunked that and said that's not a good way of conducting policy. But what would you say to those who say, well, actually, we need the state to choose winners, invest money in certain technology because the free market itself is not moving fast enough to, to combat climate change? Yeah. I think that's something you hear very often. Um, and if you if you have the, the sense of urgency, this is so important. So we must make these efforts. Then my answer is, well, the efforts don't work. So it's even more important than to look at the evidence and um, face reality and, and see that this does not work and we must take action that has evidence behind it. And imposing taxes, um, imposing various bans upon chemicals, I think is much, uh, it's a more preferable way to go if you wanna cope with environmental problems. But these are usually so politically painful to enact that that governments back off from it and instead they do uh, what they can do so um, a colleague of mine in academia he says about politics that we must do something and this is something so let's do it and you see that to an extent that what actually what would actually work is not being put in place because it's politically difficult so instead you do something else. You uh, make large pools of government money or EU money available for firms to say that they uh, need to invest in, in uh, green technologies. Um, you create guide, guidelines and regulations on how much money they can invest on different things. And then that's gonna fuel something different. Um, what, what we argue, what we see is that you see the formation of green bubbles related to those large pools of money. You also see opportunistic behavior in the sense that firms end up becoming subsidy entrepreneurs. They end up uh, becoming systematic and conscious about all these uh, pools of government money you can apply for. And from there, you start to see uh, uh, things turning more crony over time too. You, in the book, you discuss the importance of innovation policy um, and how by making policy broader rather than restrictive and specific, companies can op operate more efficiently and have more freedom to innovate. Um, can you expand on this perhaps and, and discuss how we can bring down 
regu regu regulatory barriers to innovation. Mm. So um, let's look at what has worked historically. Uh, you take leaded gasoline. Um, you used to have lead in gasoline and uh, the, the insights about the dangers of lead, even in very small amounts, started to emerge in the 19, I think 1950s, 1960s, but this was still very controversial because you had an oil industry that was making a lot of money on it. Um, you started to uh, pursue more systematic academic research into the dangers of, of lead and leaded petroleum. And that eventually fueled more insight into the problems and the damage that was caused. Public opinion started to change, policymakers started to, to change. And this is, um, you know, 1970s, 1980s. In the 1980s, um, governments um, in many countries and in Sweden started to impose taxes upon leaded petroleum and uh, announced that by 1995, we'll impose a complete ban on leaded petroleum. And along the way, the private sector had developed alternatives. And you, you look at the Swedish economy, uh, emissions of lead have gone down some 98, 99% since 1990. And this is at the same time as the economy goes up some 85%. So this is an example which has worked. And what do we learn from that? Well, I think the learning is that, that the private sector innovates and it needs regulation as guidance and, and it needs consistent regulation over time. But when you make huge efforts, large government pro programs, uh, put pools of money up for grabs in the way you're doing right now, um, that ain't gonna work. So uh, this interaction between regulators and private industry, I think has, has worked historically in many cases and you need more of that. What you also need is better conditions for entrepreneurship, better general conditions for private firms to be started and uh, for them to grow. What you can also see in the Swedish case is um, you made a couple of broad reforms in the 1990s that fueled Sweden's um, IT miracle, which I think you, you, you can call it. One of those was you made a tax deductible to have a personal computer at home. And uh, when you did so, you gave households much more computing power than they would have had otherwise. And you had kids and you had teenagers who started to play around with those computers, learn programming, and many of those moved on to start businesses in the dot-com bubble. And the ones that continued after that are, well, Spotify would be one of those that came out of those early efforts. And then these entrepreneurs went further on. And these are unintended consequences of I think very clever po policies um, in, in the 1990s. So these would be some of the examples um, to cover. 
that's that's brilliant um i think you've 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 answered my next question would be which what was is there ever a role for the state in innovation and you've clearly set out that yes there is but it shouldn't be too overbearing and um and the swedish example um for incentives and, and education and so forth to to allow that innovation is is brilliant uh, just as an extra question um reading the book mazzucato's um consistent theme throughout is that the government as we said at the beginning as an as an original um function to intervene when there's market failures or there's a public good need um and the premise is based on the fact that the private sector is sort of a lion in a cage she says but she uh, she she says well ha what happens if the if the private sector isn't a lion and it's a it's a gerbil or something and that's when you need the private sector uh, the public sector rather to come in and to do a lot more than it already does and going on to the green tech one thing she says is well there's not enough private venture capital and long-term investment for um, green technologies because people are more bothered about short-term returns mm. on investment and so forth so there's not the environment she says mm. What do you say to that? Because looking looking at it um, on paper, well, it, it's, you could invert that and say, well, there's there's a reason that there's you know this short term mm. people want short term returns because of government interference in certain technologies who have already choose, chosen the winners. Is that is that a fair uh, summation? Hmm. Good question. So, uh, if that is the case, um, that there is too little capital invested in in green technologies. Um, well, first of all, that's very hard to prove. How much? In what sector? Is there too little engineering effort in wind? Is there too much in solar? Uh, how much is in nuclear? Who, who is to answer that question and saying, well, uh, you know, we, we would actually need a uh, two more billion dollars uh, in, in the wind power, wind industry, um, etc. So it's very hard to make that assessment. Um, a colleague of mine said that to do research on market failure or the absence of, of markets or a system failure here is like doing research on black holes. You can't see it and you can merely detect it uh, indirectly by looking at the vicinity of it. So a market failure or a system failure, you cannot assess the size of it, nor can you assess the, the exact location of it. So if you have a, a hole, but you don't know the size and you don't know where it is located, and then you are to fill that hole with money and investment, um, what's gonna happen? And when that amount of money you, you are to put in there is going to be subjected to political negotiation among member states, among different uh, municipalities, among uh, different businesses, and they're going to influence it. What's the likelihood that that pool of money is going to be a perfect fit correcting that little, that, that, that failure? I think the likelihood is, is, is very low. And you look at the uh, examples we have of, of these kind of efforts, and you see how one, they end up with the wrong technology. 
You see how Sweden, we picked ethanol as the car and the fuel for the future by 2003, four, five, six. We put large amounts of government resources available for uh, clean energy programs. And you see how municipal firms, companies started to apply for that money. We imposed a lot of laws and restrictions, uh, effectively subsidizing and encouraging ethanol. The technology didn't work, it backfired, uh, the bubble burst and you were back to, to square one, where electricity turned out to be the most viable uh, non-fossil fuel-based uh, technology. So, you know, you put that, you have a mark, you have a system failure. Okay, let's say you have that. Well, for the solution to that system failure to be government efforts, that must not be subjected to an equal amount or a larger amount of government failure. But this is often what you see. So much better than create incentives, shape markets, let it become costly to pollute the environment and to destroy the planet and firms will start to economize it in ways that are hard to understand beforehand. Christian Sandstrom, that's, I think that's a perfect place to end. Thank you very much for joining me today in the IA, on the IA podcast. To our listeners, please remember to subscribe to the IA podcast and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the IA podcast on Podbean, Spotify or Apple. We also upload our podcast on our YouTube channel, IEA London. If you want to help contribute to the IEA's digital output, please support us on Patreon, where you can benefit from exclusive membership perks whilst helping us continue to produce stimulating educational output. To become an online patron, click the link in the show notes.